Howdy. This is part two of our breakdown of our favorite films from 2021. Basically, what remains is our consensus top 10 picks of the year. And man, I can't believe that Tom Brady already unretired. If you listened to the last episode, you might have noticed that I made what sounds like a really stupid bet because by the time the episode posted, Tom Brady had already unretired. But hey, you never know. Anyway, enjoy. Okay, next is Aaron's number three. Oh, yay. Okay. Number three is Red Rocket. And so this is a story about Mikey, who's like an ex-porn star who returns home to Texas to live with his estranged wife and his mother-in-law. And like just as they are like starting to get along as like a little dysfunctional little family unit, he meets this young woman named Strawberry working at the counter of the local donut shop. And the film is so funny, but also really disturbing, like extremely, extremely disturbing. Like it needs like a trigger warning (laughs) before you watch it for like sexual abuse. But Mikey, like speaking of unlikable characters, like Mikey is so (laughs) unlikable. He is like a narcissistic scumbag. But I think um, we were talking about this. The same director of Florida Project did this film. Yeah, Sean Baker. Sean Baker does such a good job of capturing like real human stories without any sugarcoating. Like the movie is so authentic to like what you would expect from like Texas City, Texas. It's like incredible. He uses a lot of non-actors in the film. I think besides the two leads, I or three, I think the his estranged wife was also an actor, but so believable and authentic. And the set design was also super realistic of what you would expect to see, you know, in a town like that. But also the cinematography was gorgeous. It was so beautiful. Yes. The composition, the colors, it was stunning. One of my favorites of the year, like in terms of cinematography. And yeah, I, I did watch this one. And I honestly, I had an advantage. Like I knew this had made Aaron's top 10. And so I, be, sorry, because it was so high, because it's her number three, mm-hmm. that's why I did go ahead and prioritize it. And I had heard good things about it. I had heard even some before the Oscar nominations, there was some buzz that maybe even the lead guy could get nominated for best actor for it because he is just very gregarious and just kind of this fast smooth talker kind of guy and again a a wheeler and a dealer porn star drug dealer type guy who's even though you despise him he's also super charismatic yes very charming uses it to his advantage yes in bad ways (laughs) yes yes like seducing a girl who's about to turn 18 to see yeah yeah, what what he can get going there not just in relationship wise but also even could he get her into the industry wise and so the trigger warning thing is probably accurate, but Sean Baker is an amazing filmmaker and I have not yet had any of his movies make my top 10. This one was definitely an honorable mention for me. Like it was, I debated putting this in, in the top 10. It, it's, it's a strong honorable mention for me. And <laughs> saying you enjoyed this movie is kind of not easy to do. It, it's not a movie you necessarily enjoy. Appreciate. You appreciate it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and honestly, this is a good one to talk about right after Power of the Dog, because I don't like anybody in this movie either, but I love this movie. And mm-hmm. so I think, and, and, and even though I like the filmmaking in Power of the Dog, I don't know why. It just, this one works in a way that Power of the Dog didn't, even though a lot of the same things maybe apply. 
uh, because I, oh, because it wasn't a glacial burn. It was it was actually engaging. The yeah, whole time. it's the opposite. It like hits the it right. hits the this, ground running. This is frenetic. Yes, this, yes, yes. Like the the I mean, first it's like not, I'm not going to go uh, point by point the whole movie, but we see him kind of on a bus. He's kind of beaten up. We really don't know much about it. And then he's banging on the door of someone's house, and you realize, oh, it's his ex wife. And they're like, um, get off our property. And then he basically talks his way into moving in with them yes. after. They start the conversation with get out, get off my property. And just how engaging and entertaining he is as a character kept me engaged. And again, Sean Baker, the other one, Florida Project, I thought was awesome. Mm-hmm. Just missed my top 10. And then the other one I didn't see in time, Tangerine, is a riot. It's about a trans character who just gets out of jail and heard their ex might be hooking up with somebody else. And she is on a rampage and she is, it's just got this frenetic energy. She's just walking around LA. The music is popping and she is going to figure out what's going on. And it's awesome. I highly recommend Tangerine as well. So I love Sean Baker's stuff. Uh, Aaron and I were talking uh, via text before this about how uh, there's, there's almost some similarities between Sean Baker and Chloe Zhao. Uh, the use of non-professional actors, the, these kind of small stories that are just kind of, shot almost guerrilla style i don't know i i wouldn't be surprised if sean baker almost did, other than he's bolder it, so it didn't surprise me that chloe Zhao went from basically the writer a movie no one had heard of but didn't that did make my top 10 whenever it came out uh to best picture and best director winner the only thing stopping sean baker from a similar thing is because his movies are about ex-porn stars trying to seduce 17 year olds i think it's too edgy it's too edgy, but in, mm-hmm. but in a way that makes me like him more. It's like I always talk about, I'm, I'm not, again, I respect the career of Steven Spielberg, but he's not a bold enough filmmaker for me. Again, from a technical standpoint, you could argue Steven Spielberg is the best director in Hollywood history. And, and, and I like a ton of his movies, but his choices are boring. And why I love a Kubrick or a Tarantino or even a Sean Baker, who now I'm starting to love, is because their cho- choices are so crazy and so bold. So. Yeah, big thumbs up for Red Rocket from me as well. I'm guessing you guys, have you guys even heard of Red Rocket? I had not even heard of it until until she mentioned it just now. So. <laughs> okay, okay. I had heard of it. It's kind of on my list, except literally today Richie texted me when I was complaining about the age gap in oh. Liquor's Pizza. He's like, if you don't like that, do not watch this movie. <laughs> but they do not portray this relationship as good. Okay. That is the true. huge okay. difference. Yes. Like it is predatory okay. and you yeah, do not like true. Mikey. True. Yeah. Right. Right. He's yeah. Right. It's pre- predatory is the right word. Right. Yeah. That's it. It's not romantic. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. He, he even see him talking to his buddy about like, look, I'm, look, I'm about to pull off. Yeah. It's cringy, but it's a great movie, but definitely not for everyone. Definitely. Definitely. Mom, yeah. you do not want to watch Red Rocket. <laughs> <laughs> it's deeply uncomfortable at points for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, next is Cody's number four, which is also my number six, about the greatest athlete of all time. Okay, well, this movie, the next movie, is about the, well, kind of about the greatest athlete of all time. Her name is Serena Williams. The movie is King Richard. It is about her father. I will not take debates on greatest athlete of all time, because that is, there's not one. (laughs) Starring Will Smith and the mom, I'm not... I have no idea how to pronounce her name, but she did get nominated for Best Supporting Actress, so I'm not going to butcher it. It is a 90 critics, 98 audience, which is pretty big. So it's about Venus and Serena when they're younger, and then their dad, who was, I mean, basically the stereotype of a very rough parent when it comes to an athlete. Like, 
along the lines of Tiger Woods' dad and everything. I loved I I love Serena Williams. Like she's she was my Taylor Swift before Taylor Swift. I I think she's the greatest athlete of all time. <laughs> I absolutely love her and just obsessed with her. So I really enjoyed the movie. I was a little worried at first when I first heard about it because originally the Williams sisters were not going to be involved in it. Oh, really? Yeah, if that was the case, I was like, I don't want to see it if they're not involved. Later, they did. They're both executive producer producers. So Will Smith sat down and had a conversation with Venus and Serena, and that's what made them decide to come onto it. Okay. The movie is very much about Venus, which makes sense because she was she's the older one, so she went through that entire landscape of white people playing tennis and or junior tennis so a lot of it is about venus serena gets kind of pushed to the side which i didn't like as much just because i would have liked to have seen more serena but it made total sense because that's what happened venus had to go through all this stuff first will smith was awesome in it both the girls that played venus and serena were good i was just and it also was one of those movies i had very high expectations just because i love her so much and it met them so yeah i loved it yeah, this is my number six, so I, I really enjoyed it, too. And some of it maybe feels a little easy, but I'm kind of with Cody where I had pretty high expectations, and it I'd say it met them. It, it didn't exceed them, but it definitely met my high expectations. Um, I'm excited about the prospect. Again, we talked about Power Dog as the favorite to win Best Picture. Will Smith's a narrow favorite to win Best Actor, so I, I kind of like living in a world where Will Smith might have an Oscar. And I, I think he kind of deserves that as well. And I actually like the way they approached it with sidelining uh, Serena, because instead of doing a biopic of their whole careers, it focuses on, well, one, their dad, he's the, he's the titular character. And the idea that he has this master plan pre-birth that he's going to turn his children into tennis stars. And it's just... I want to touch on that real quick. Okay, yeah, Just because I, I knew that going into it. It is absolutely absurd what he did with these girls. Yes. Because you look, especially you look at the other sisters. He sounds like a crazy person and it yes, works. Yes. And like you look at the other sisters that are older because Venus and Serena are the youngest ones. They are, they're not athletic looking girls. So like their family genes are not, apparently the mom and dad did play. But like, like you said, he had these two girls to make them tennis stars. That's the only reason he procreated with his wife for these two kids was to make them the best ath- the best tennis players of all time. And the dude succeeded. It's wild. Right. Yeah. He, he just doing things outside the box in a way that it was in the face of the establishment. I mean, the fact that they're African-American and, you know, in a, in a and not from money in a sport that is dominated by rich white people and they did it, did it anyway. I, Tanya was my favorite movie of the decade for a lot of the same reasons that I really like this movie. And again, I think that was just kind of a bolder, more innovative type of film. But I still really love the, the story here, the the ultimate underdog thing that you just you truth is stranger than fiction kind of thing. You can't make up the story of the Williams sisters and how they just kind of come from nothing with a dad who's would get locked up if he's this crazy. Didn't work he's a for, crazy man. Right. And also too, the sisters being involved had a had the risk of whitewashing their father as as a saint and and it does not make him a saint so even though the sisters are involved it still shows uh richard williams is a very flawed person who even though he has this master plan now it's not a great relationship not like in real life oh really yeah no it's not okay he stayed their coach for a while but he has not been for decades and it's he's very rarely at matches and stuff obviously they're not playing as much as they used to but it is a very strained relationship 
Like, they have love for him because it's their dad and, you know, yes. got them where they are. But it's not it's not the best. Like, it's not like a Tiger Woods and his dad where they're still super close. It's not. Okay, gotcha. They recognize what he did for them, but probably because of his own ego, he probably, again, you you can speak to this better than I could, he probably had a hard time dealing with them so so surpassing him that he becomes irrelevant. Yes. And he's not a guy who wanted to be relevant yes. because this was his idea in the first place. Yes, it was to make it was to make him famous. Or even rich. Yes, he saw yeah. his he saw having children as a way to make money yes. because he's gonna make them tennis stars and tennis stars are rich. Like how how warped Yes, is that? and I think he saw that he wasn't gonna be able to be rich himself, so he saw this as an opportunity. Right, in a in a creepy way, which the movie doesn't necessarily make it seem no. as creepy as that just sounds, but it kinda but it is if you kinda start to 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 analyze it. But again, I just liked it and again the whole idea of the origin story of, you know, arguably the greatest athlete of all time, not arguably if you're talking to Cody. And <laughs> I, I do actually I don't know, I don't necessarily have a athlete in mind when I think the greatest athlete of all time, but I do like the case for Serena and the strongest thing, and Cody's probably mentioned it before. If she was a man who had dominated the sport of tennis the way Serena Williams has dominated the sport of tennis, there would be no conversation. Yes, and yeah, exactly. That's that's my argument every single time is no one has ever, maybe Tiger, but even then, not to the level that she did. Or like a Wayne Gretzky in hockey. Yes, yeah. no one has dumped. But Wayne, to me, it's different when it's a team sport because there's other factors mm. that go into it. But no one has no point. one has dominated their sport the way that she did for the period of time that she did. And doesn't she have kids too? So that's uh, oh, another thing I was going to another <laughs> thing I was going to say with the whole parent thing. So she has a daughter. She uh, was pregnant with her while she won the French Open, which I think is awesome. She didn't know she was pregnant yet. That trophy is in her daughter's room, and she originally <laughs> said she was not going to have her daughter play tennis. And I assume it's because of the stuff she went through as a, as uh, through her childhood. But her daughter is playing tennis. She's still only like three years old. But there's pictures of Olympia at like Serena's practice and she's playing and hitting and stuff. And I think it's more like Serena's not pushing her into it, but like she's just, the daughter is just around it all the time. It's just natural that she's going to pick it up and play. Right. Also her, her husband is the co-founder of Reddit, which I just think is the craziest thing. Yes. So weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love the story of how they met in the, do you know that story? Yeah. Cody? In that, in, yeah. That uh, cafe in France or, something, or Paris. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, basically, he was like sitting working on something, and her not necessarily entourage, but her her manager and her kind of come in, and they had like this area reserved, or they were basically trying to like boot him out. But he was like kind of cool enough the way he responded, and they kind of let him stay. And then she kind of got curious, and like, well, what are you working on anyway? And then they just kind of like contacted from there. And then you know he like she like invited him to the French Open, and he just pretended he was going to be in France anyway or something, and went, and they just kind of started dating. And yeah, it's kind of yeah. kind of just a funny meet cute between you know greatest athlete uh of all time on one hand and internet billionaire on the other <laughs> hand <laughs> and i mean he qu- he quit reddit because of his daughter because he hated what it was becoming and didn't want to be a part of it anymore because mm. as much as we love reddit it can be quite the cesspool uh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't think you're going to get any arguments. <laughs> I, well, I, honestly, I, I like it better than Twitter because of the filtered results, though. Like, I have to read horrible tweets. Horrible things on Reddit kind of get suppressed a little, in a better way. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not far from perfect. Like, anything on It's, the like, internet, segregated but... by subreddit, too. So, like, there's definitely, like, the good no, ones right. and the bad ones. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So, yeah, have you, have you two, uh, Logan and Aaron, seen King Richard? Uh, I, I didn't get around to it. It was just one of the oh, okay. ones that just kind okay. of... I saw the trailers, and I was like, oh, that looks good I'll, i would maybe want to go see that and then i just 
just never did. Yeah, I saw it. I liked it. Uh, Will Smith was way better than I thought, to be honest. Um, he was way more subtle. You know, he blended more into the yeah. role than I've seen him in prior or previously. And the moment when Venus walked out with her beads, like after her mom talked to her, yes, like, beautiful, <laughs> loved it. But I know you guys are talking about how like Richard wasn't necessarily like a positive character, but when him and his wife are like fighting. And she brings up his like other family, which I wasn't aware of. I like it took me out of the film. I was like, this guy is horrible. Like it was just like oh. it was a little too jarring for me. Cause then it was like happy, you know, it was like the good part after that. And I was just like, I don't know, this guy seems like a total piece of shit, more so than they're like letting on. <laughs> so that would be my only critique. I agree. They put that in there and then didn't really explore it very much, which I knew that previously. So it didn't wasn't that much of a shock to me, but yeah. He's not a good dude. <laughs> and uh, since I'm like how much older than you guys, 13-ish years, whatever, I'm basically the same age as uh, Venus Williams. We're, we're like, I think within a year or two of each other age-wise. So I remember being in like middle school or early high school and this young girl was doing what she was doing on the tennis scene. So I, I'm, not, I'm not a big tennis fan, but my mom always watches tennis. So like these, you know, these tournaments would be on. So I, I was, it was kind of neat seeing the behind the scenes of what I had witnessed in real time of her becoming the, the next big thing. And then you kind of start to hear like, oh, and the sister's even better. And just so, so I kind of had lived through all that in real time. So I did kind of get an extra kick out of that and seeing what was going on leading up to that. They always say it takes, you know, 10 years to make an overnight success. And so it's easy for us to be like, oh yeah, this new young tennis star. Well, I hadn't heard anything about her being, you know, the biggest, you know, the best junior in the world who then pulls out. I, I hadn't heard any of that. But yeah, I do remember her kind of winning those first first few Grand Slam titles and all those kinds of things. And one one last thing, it still just the story of that, how they didn't play juniors because he didn't want that pressure on them is crazy because that's not how tennis works. And it's still not. They're the only ones that have ever really done that. Yeah, yeah. But as a coach, looking at those things, kinds of things from a sports psychology standpoint, I actually agreed with them. Um, I, I mean, you do have to get on a stage at some point, but he's like, we will yeah, down the line. <laughs> Why doesn't he have to be juniors? And, and yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm a big kind of sports psychology advocate and just the idea that your mindset can determine your performance in a way in ways that people vastly underestimate. Anyway, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> Actually, it is this podcast, but not today. <laughs> okay, now we are at Aaron's number two. Mm, okay. Yeah. So my number two is Drive My Car, which is a Japanese film. And basically it follows a theater director who's struggling to cope after his wife dies unexpectedly. And so it flash forwards two years and he's taking a p- position as a theater director for a, a coming theater festival. And he meets his appointed chauffeur, who's like a timid young woman. And throughout the film, you kind of both learn that both of these characters have very complex feelings about towards people they've lost. And the movie is definitely a slow burn. So if you do not, like, again, it's three hours and it is incredibly slow burn. So, like, if that is not your thing, I would not even recommend watching this because you will not appreciate it. But it is incredibly well acted, beautifully shot. And, like, I have never cried so hard in a movie. It was, it really uh-huh. was profound. Like, when they're, like, at that final... I don't... Richie, I don't know. I've seen really, it. Okay. Um, when they are, like... And the snowy, the scene with the snowy and how, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah. How so much of like someone that's no longer with you, like impacts you and stays with you. It was beautiful. And I loved how the play itself that they're like rehearsing kind of like ties into the character, the main character's feelings. I loved it. Again, 
if you're not into really slow burn e films, it's you feel the three hours. That's all I'll say. But I did love it. <laughs> no, I, I again, I'm guessing these other two have not seen it, but uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot. This was actually the film that I almost bumped in the heights off uh, for. And so I, I almost put it in the top 10 at the 10 spot there. And actually, I even made the change and then talked myself out of it because I wanted to give In the Heights some love that Drive My Car seems to already be getting. So honestly, that was the reason I, I flipped it. I, I, I fully appreciate that Drive My Car is a far superior movie to In the Heights and probably, I mean, several other things on my list here. But yeah, I love what you're saying too, how so they're, they're doing a, he's an actor, writer, director, or whatever. And so they're performing Chekhov. And yeah, and they yeah very very intentionally every scene he happens to be rehearsing at the time, whether on stage or in the car to the tape, perfectly parallels what's going on in real life at the time in a way that I'm like, how do you even write that? Because yeah. it would take so much work to kind of layer that and time it to where every point just kind of like syncs up perfect with the play and in Chekhov and and I also like the parallels of all the different. It's such an international movie in every sense of the word from, obviously, it's a Japanese film based on a Japanese novel. They're doing a play by a Russian author, and some of the actors speak Chinese and English. I don't know, it was kind of a big, life-affirming story through loss, and yeah, no, it's it's really freaking good grief and acceptance and i i also loved the final scene of you know of the stage when they're with the film and the girl is so one of the actors is signing oh my gosh yeah yeah and it's just like crazy how how much you could feel that i don't even think you needed to read the subtitles right because you knew that scene you know it's just like i've never seen that in a film like it was just so apparent that you know what i mean it just transcended language or you know what i mean it was just incredible yes to to clarify to these uh, gentlemen anybody else listening yeah one of the actors that he hires to be in the checkoff play is mute she can hear but she talks through sign language and yeah there's what aaron is talking about is like when they're kind of performing it and it's a full-on is it a minute or two minutes straight yes of her just signing her mm-hmm. performance yes. and yeah you get the subtitles but like Aaron saying you, you just don't need it and it's just again it's just it's beautiful and yeah I, I dug it a lot but it's de- definitely not for everyone and I don't have a strong reason why I didn't include it in my top I mentioned why I didn't give it the number 10 spot but as far as not being higher I just felt that it didn't necessarily break a ton of new ground for me but I really really enjoyed it and then for me I had just Sheer coincidence. So it's based on a, I always forget his first name, but it's based on a Hirakami novel, a famous Japanese author who's kind of internationally known. And I had just read a book by him for the first time ever the month before this movie came out, before even knowing that Drive My Car was also based on a Hirakami novel. So that was kind of a sheer coincidence. And it makes me really, really excited to check out more Hirakami because I really enjoyed the novel. I really enjoyed this book. So I'm curious to see more stories by this guy. And he, everything we kind of talked about seemed to be kind of themes within his, and the, the, how detailed his character, he takes a small character, seemingly unimportant character, and then fleshes the, like you're saying, the scene in the snow yeah. where, and is this poignant moment with a character you think when you meet them is just going to be an afterthought and completely irrelevant, and they become like the emotional heart of this whole character arc. Anyway, 
these guys are probably bored of tears because they yes. don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> we're going to give a three-hour version. We're going to give a three-hour review of Drive My Car. Yes. <laughs> just so you that will have wished you watched Drive My Car instead. Yes. It, just from your description, it sounds like I, I made the right choice to not watch it. I don't think I would have liked it. Just because I watched the trailer and I was like, oh my God, this thing's so boring. And then I looked and I was like, this is three hours long. <laughs> okay, but this was one I was glad I saw in theater though, right? Because mm. you couldn't pause, you could, you know, couldn't check your phone. Like mm. it was, I loved that I saw it in the theater. It was beautiful. I, I don't, I don't think it's a, it's not a slow that feels slow. I've definitely watched movies where I get bored. Well, it was uh, like a Geary Wrath of God. It's like, you know, or there's, there's short movies that are boring. Right. Yeah. And there's long movies that aren't boring. This is a long movie that's not boring, even though it's also slow. Some long movies are, you know, frenetically paced and they're not boring. This is slow, but not boring. Right. And I'm also the kind of person, though, that can fall asleep during an action scene. So. <laughs> but not on a plane. Boring is relative, <laughs> but not on a plane. Yeah. <laughs> Call back to other things. Okay. Aaron, final thoughts? Are we good on Drive My Car? I'm Recommend good. it. Recommend it. And this is what I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Again, so I had heard this three-hour Japanese epic that it had all this buzz. And it was, but it was like going to get, you know, almost certainly the best picture, or sorry, best foreign film nomination and likely win, asterisk. But then when it crossed over and got the overall best picture no, uh, nomination, a best director nomination, which means, which basically means even in a year of five, it would likely have been nominated for best picture. And for a movie that's coming on really late in the awards season, because a lot of people still haven't seen it, right. this is one where I wouldn't be surprised, well, other than, you know, the three-hour thing and some of Logan's concerns are valid, is this a movie that could actually win Best Picture? And we talked about Power of the Dog being the favorite, but the fact that Drive My Car is coming on so late and so powerfully, I wouldn't be surprised to see it pull off the upset. But but enough people need to see it. See it. Right. Now... There's an unru- well, it might even be a written rule, but there's a uh, on your honor rule that you're not supposed to vote in a category for the Oscars unless you've seen every nominee. So there, you're not <laughs> ethically, you shouldn't be even be voting voting for best picture if you have not seen Drive My Car. Like that's how it's supposed to work. Okay, you can't fairly vote if you haven't seen them all. So hopefully enough people hold to that. Again, I'm not saying I'm necessarily rooting for this, but I am overpowered the dog. <laughs> so no, me too, me too for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. The final seven movies here, as we continue on, we're getting more and more into our consensus. So our next film is my number three, which is also Aaron's number seven and Cody's number eight. This is CODA, or Child of Death Adults, which is basically an acronym. And this is a movie that uh, Apple actually put out. And it was very, very kind of small release. The one this kind of reminds me too, as far as award season goes is maybe something like a slumdog millionaire where it's a such a small movie that everyone who sees it just except for logan apparently just uh just can't help but love so th- this is another one that has a chance to upset for best picture they're saying even though because it, it may be like a green book way that it this is the one that's in everybody's top three even if it's not your number one so it's just absolutely charming and heartwarming and is this the one logan you said you watched and said like oh that's definitely a richie movie uh no because i haven't seen this oh that was oh, no, sorry that that was another one okay no. so yeah what i actually didn't realize until afterwards so coda is actually a remake of a french film but uh there's still a lot of originality imbued with that basically and i have not seen the the french film but uh i think the idea of a child from a death family or the only hearing person in a death family and maybe how the story beats play out, maybe with the music and stuff that she gets into. I'm guessing that's 
what they copied over, but the setting it in New England and having them be like a fishing family or lobster, what is it? I forget if it's fish or lobster or whatever, but that was all invented. That the writer director is from the New England area herself and would kind of spend, you know, summers going and being near the water. So she kind of took that setting and brought this French story in about the, the hearing person and deaf family to it. It just sounds so utterly simple. You have, okay, uh, a teenager who has a deaf brother and two deaf parents, and she gets into wah, wah, wah music, which her family can't appreciate. It just sounds so easy and so after school, especially, that it seems like, oh, there's no way this can work. It's, it's going to be so lame. You're going to roll your eyes the whole time. Nope. It absolutely works. I may have had a little issues with her teacher being a little bit over the top at times. It maybe there's some communication issues there, which is just like, just tell him what's going on. But that aside, oh my gosh, it is so, so charming and heartfelt. And, and I think they earn it. So it's definitely a m- movie that could fall into melodrama in lesser hands. But it's it's so well performed. Her dad, uh, the guy who plays her dad, is nominated for uh, an Oscar. Her mom is Marley Matlin, who's won an Oscar before. Uh, so it's beautifully acted, beautifully directed, very well written. It's got our boy Alfred the Great from vikings who's also in sing street whose name i can't remember so uh, it's a 95 slash 93 on rotten tomatoes it is nominated for three oscars uh again her dad uh tony kotzer or how you say that for best supporting actor best picture and then best adapted screenplay as i was mentioning the the writer director kind of adapting it from that previous film so i absolutely loved it i mean i don't even really need to go into more details the premise is so simple all I have to say is that, like, yeah, it works. You laugh and you cry because it's it's all the awkward, funny stuff <laughs> and yeah, very awkward at times. And then also the heartfelt stuff and how her parents finally come to, and get, I mean, this, this isn't really a sport. This is where this movie's going from the beginning, but how her parents grow to accept her getting into music and how that conflicts with the family business and they need a hearing person. And her brother kind of resents the fact that they need her in, in this way that he thinks will be fine if she needs to go off and do bigger and better things and all of that stuff. And it's just, uh, I adore this film. Yeah, I liked it too. I was kind of surprised. It was so predictable in a sense, right? Like I knew how I could see yeah, where it was Yeah, spoilers going. don't matter for this movie. Yeah, yeah but it yeah. was so endearing. And I think the fi- family dynamics is what really made it believable, right? Really sold you on it. I think the the dad did do a wonderful job. That scene where she he's like, feeling her sing or like listening yes to her puts his hand like, on her throat while she sings so that uh, he can appreciate it yeah yeah, yeah. so good like right right she'll just yeah. now when you said that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah it was it was very sweet endearing film for sure cody you have an odd that's number eight yeah i enjoyed it um what you guys said it was good it was heartfelt I don't really have a whole lot to add from what you guys said. And then, Logan, why is your heart made of stone? Or did you not see this one? <laughs> I haven't. I didn't see it. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't, okay. I, I okay. saw it like uh, I heard a lot of good things about it. And I saw the, you know, the little icon on Apple TV. But at the time that I had all the time that I could have watched it, I chose instead to watch For All Mankind. In, which is a like an alternate history kind of yeah. space race TV show on Apple TV. So I watched that, and then I just never <laughs> went back and watched Coda. And uh, now I wish I had, because it sounds awesome. And uh, I really like Marley Matlin. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I 
I'll probably watch it. Like, it sounds great. I'll probably love it. And uh, God, I hope it's not better than any of the movies that I have in my list where I'm going to feel real stupid for not watching it before this. <laughs> okay, so that, that's a pretty high consensus then. So all of us who watched it put it in our top 10. Yeah, so I, I was thinking that maybe you just kind of did, it just didn't make the cut for you. But yeah, you just hadn't seen it yet. So no, it's uh, it's awesome. There's probably not as much to talk about on that one. But other than just check it out, it totally works. It's... uh. Maybe like a Minari from last year, just kind of a fan favorite. You can't help but like it kind of movie, even if it doesn't have the power to go all the way. Right. I think anyone would enjoy it, right? It's not one I want to be oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah. if you don't, you know, I think anyone could enjoy the film. Yeah. Right, right. Well, also being, you know, kind of R-rated and not a family film necessarily. Right. But yeah, yeah. All right. Now we can have some fun. Logan, this is your number three. All right. So my number three is Spider-Man No Way Home. Directed by John Watts, who I, well, other than the other Spider-Man movies that he directed, I haven't seen anything of his. Um, And written by Chris McKenna and Eric Summers. Not familiar with Eric Summers. Chris McKenna, I know, is like a comedy, more more of a comedy TV guy. I know he wrote some on Community, which is my favorite sitcom of all time. Um, And the comedy does, does come through a lot in this movie. I will fully admit that the reason this movie is this high on my list is because it's like it was like tailor made to be like a Logan superhero nostalgia movie. The whole premise <laughs> of the movie is that there's basically like an interdimensional portal opened up to where Spider-Man villains from other Spider-Man universes come to the Spider-Man universe where Tom Holland is Peter Parker and Spider-Man. So it's Peter Parker as Tom Holland, but he's fighting Otto Octavius, and and that's in the trailer. We do need another spoiler jump on this one, but now yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I I wasn't going to go into spoiler territory yet. Just stuff okay, that you see okay. in the trailer. So Otto Octavius and the Green Goblin from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, which are th- those were the, like some of the first. I actually don't know if X-Men came out before the first. Spider-Man. Right about the same time. I yeah, I know that they were both early early 2000s but when you know, you're when when you're like eight years old yes yes <laughs> yeah so like watching these you know the the new spider-man fight these villains that i know from the sam raimi trilogy and seeing all those characters interact with each other it was just so special i absolutely love it. i love and i i think that willem dafoe's norman osborne was better in this movie than he was in the Sam Raimi movies. I thought uh, Alfred Molina was awesome, and I love Tom Holland's Spider Man so much. He is such a good Peter Parker. The interaction and the chemistry that he has with Zendaya's Mary Jane, and then oh god, what's the other? Oh, I don't, I don't know. The, I don't know. His, Ned, uh, Jacob, Ned, I don't Jacob know. The, Ned's, Battle, Ned's, Ned's, okay, Ned. Yeah, it's so it's so much fun. Yeah, I I know that this movie really. It, it kind of like I feel guilty for putting it this high on my list over some of these other movies that we're talking about, but it just it made me feel so good watching it in the theater. And this is one of the ones that I was actually glad I went and saw in the theater because seeing it on the big screen with the big sound definitely added a lot to the experience. Plus, this was the first Spider-Man movie that my daughter saw in theaters. So her watching this Spider-Man movie was the first one that she watched in theaters. And then I'm watching this movie, remembering back to when I was literally her age, watching the first Spider-Man with these exact same characters. It was just, yeah, it's, it's an emotional and nostalgic connection that like, 
it, it can't be beat. It can't be beat. I, I don't know. It was um, even though the movie itself, I know objectively is not as good as some of the other ones that I put underneath it. Just that experience alone, it was probably my favorite movie going experience of the year. Well, and to follow up, the reason we are talking about this this late in the show, I didn't mention this is my number four. Like I'm, I'm on board, and I wasn't little when the first Spider, uh, Spider, Spiderman, Spidermans uh, came out when the Sam Raimi films came out. But similarly, kind of thing. Like I'm pretty sure, like the opening weekend of the East Warren Theater, like the first time it was open. Period. I went over there to watch like Spider-Man Two or whichever film kind of opened up the, the, that exact same time and so i was definitely on board for all the the other films and how they kind of tie into this one and i go back and forth on the the marvel stuff i did have avengers as my favorite film of 2012 but then also at the same time i kind of see where a martin scorsese is coming from when he says they're quote not really cinema because they all do kind of get very cookie cutter and you could almost just you know they have the exact same plot arc and all these kinds of things are kind of the beats are very play out very predictably and there are a few like maybe a thor ragnarok or again like the first avengers that i think kind of throw that for a loop and so like something like avengers endgame i really i thought it was more cookie cutter and really didn't care for i mean it was fine it was fine that's how most of them are most of them are they're fine i enjoy them and then i forget about them and get mad when the subsequent ones expect you to have remembered everything else which is ironic when we're talking about this one relying on so much previous knowledge but it's so clever and original and they just they do things that they haven't done in any of the marvel movies and i think maybe this is kind of like the avengers the again the og joss whedon avengers kind of set up what was going to happen next with you know thanos and all the other stuff i feel like this one set a whole new phase of the marvel cinematic universe with places they're willing to go both with story within the mcu with you know using ip from past stuff and then also just from an acting and an emotional standpoint this is a legit good movie mcu aside this absolutely stands alone from an acting standpoint from a production standpoint from a you cry during this movie standpoint and again we're not, we don't want to say because i don't know if cody and logan sorry cody and aaron have you guys even seen this movie no. No. Right. So I don't necessarily even want to spoil it for, for you guys. And I don't yeah. think we need to. No. This isn't what we need to talk about the spoilers. But just it hits on such an emotional level that you would never see coming from an MCU movie. And I think this is probably the most emotionally impactful MCU movie. Not even just from the nostalgia. From I think they just pulled off the filmmaking in a better way. And the character arc. And, and the, the, the Tom Holland Spider-Man is the best Spider-Man. And I say that as who love, as someone who... Actually, I enjoyed the previous Spider, Spider-Man as well and i think it's spider's man spider's man there it is <laughs> so no i absolutely love this the uh, this movie as well so and i i don't know about you rich but for me the existence of this movie and the way that it was executed so well actually makes the other two spider-man series better, better. yeah and i did i did already like them a lot but they didn't make my top 10 i don't think off the top of my head right you're right in retrospect it elevates and that's a good point Again, probably don't need to go too deep here, I guess, since only Logan and I have seen it. Uh, Logan, anything else? Yeah, just one more thing. Just something that this movie does in its kind of like just general formula that you don't see a lot in superhero movies. This movie is not about Spider-Man having to punch the villains the hardest to get them to submit so that he wins. Most of the movie is actually Spider-Man working with the villains to try and solve the problem that they're dealing with. Like, I, I, I keep saying the word villains, but they're almost not even villains. 
They're just, it's no, just right. everyone like, is just yeah. a character. They all have to work together to solve their problems. Right, and actually, that's why the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies in general stand out in the MCU writ large yes. because they are character-focused more than story-focused. Even Far From Home was really freaking good because it's about teenage angst, not about beating the bad guys. Right. And, and, and Homecoming similarly, too. So, yeah, they're great. And I think this was kind of a culmination of that kind of trilogy thus far. They're even calling it like the Home Trilogy because it's yeah. Homecoming, Far From Home, No Way Home. And then, yeah, Willem Dafoe is freaking oh, brilliant. This is peak Willem Dafoe, Green Goblin. Like, better than... And he's great in the Sam Raimi movies. Like, his performances are, like, just the perfect amount of over-the-top and campy for that trilogy. But, yeah, in this one, man, he is... He's, like, tortured. He's, like, confused. But it's... He did a really, really great job. I love this movie. And plays both perfectly. Right, right. Yeah. He can be He can be the kind of cowed... Uh, penitent norman oswald and he can be the maniacal over the top green goblin and and seamlessly as both to both they uh they did a good job of like not having him you know when he because in the sam raimi trilogy he has like the really campy over the top shiny goblin armor mm. and in oh this, yes it's like it's actually it's more <laughs> it's like more faithful organic to the comics where he has the trench coat and the purple hood like the, and it just kind of gets shredded and becomes the co- yeah. costume yeah, yeah 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 that was good that was good Okay, we'll stop boring these two with the movie they haven't seen. <laughs> Although we got more of those coming up here too. But no, the next one is another kind of consensus pick here. This is Cody's number two. That's also Aaron's number six and my number seven. Okay, um, the movie is called Seven Prisoners, starring absolutely no names I can pronounce. <laughs> um, 98 critics, 90 uh, audience. This guy, the main character is Mate- or Mateus. He grows up very impoverished and moves to Sao Paulo for a job at a junkyard. And then his boss, so they like live at this junkyard. They live like in bunk beds in very bad conditions. And they are brought there with, it's him and a group of like three other boys. And they are brought there with the promise of they will make some money and be able to get their family and life out of poverty. That is soon found out to be not true at all. And then the boss, his name is Luca. He's the one who runs this junkyard. And he's not a good person. And then basically the kind of the rest of the movie is a lot about human trafficking. So I don't know how much we want to give away or what, but. Um, yeah, I, I probably, don't, probably don't want to spoil this one. But again, I do like that we've all, we have all seen. I think, Logan, you watched it and just, it just didn't make your top 10, but you still liked it. So I, I, yeah. I think everybody's on board with this this film. And it was kind of a, arguably the biggest surprise of the year for me. Because we, we have other foreign films on the list, but a lot of those are up for Oscars. or So I don't even remember where I first heard of this one i'm sure it was probably on the film spotting podcast i would have if i had to guess is where i heard about it and then i just kind of mentioned it to you guys and you guys all happened to watch it and all happened to like it so it's very very uncomfortable in a way similar to some of the other films we've talked about and and i was you know almost like really really frustrated on behalf of the characters and what they were going through and wasn't necessarily enjoying the experience but then as you start to see the character arc of the protagonist as he's kind of torn between what's best for the group what's best for him and differing ideas on that without giving anything away and just i thought it was really original and powerful in the way we kind of saw everything play out yeah i thought it was going to be a different film just based on the like you know little snippet i heard read you know going in and i was like oh it'll be fine and then i was like it was a grueling watch i will say i don't think it's one i'll rewatch again you know like it was really depressing but it was so it was powerful. I really, 
yeah, I really did enjoy the film. It was incredibly sad. And it was, that was when I, I think I texted Richie and actually probably you, Aaron. And I was like, the movies this year are just so sad. Yes. Like, it was, I think I had seen like three movies in a row that I'm like, oh my God, this is just so sad. I don't want to watch any more movies. <laughs> and just, I was like, I have to find something else to break it up. And this one, the guy, just seeing his development over time, and you kind of hit on it earlier, just like him realizing what he needs to do to kind of make his life better, but just struggling with this is a really bad thing that I'm doing. Right. But even in a way, like he's doing those things that he doesn't like to help his fellow workers slash prisoners, because he's mm-hmm. all seven prisoners, and they disagree with his methods. And then his debate becomes, well, who am I loyal to then? And yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Again, he's kind of, I would almost, because uh, all four of us liked it and it was on three of our top tens and it's so lesser known, I might kind of call this our collective hidden gem of the year. Similar to an Uncle Frank, Uncle Frank. Last year, honestly. Yeah. Yes. I so I would say I, I would compare it to that as far as how we as we as a group approached it. Was it Netflix or on Netflix? Yeah, it was mm-hmm. Netflix. Okay. So when I first started watching it, it had it was dubbed with English, and oh, no. it just felt. You need to go back and change it. Yes, because it was just like none of this is like it. Just it sounded it was bad. Right. So then I switched it to was it Portuguese? Mm-hmm. Portuguese, yeah. Yeah. So then I switched it to that and then that made it a lot better. Okay, yeah, agreed, agreed. Logan, any thoughts? Yeah, I I liked it a lot. It was just it's so tense and I was just so frustrated when I was watching <laughs> it that I think that it that that tainted it and that I don't know if that's that might not be fair to the movie because like it's a really well-made movie. I was just like there were certain times that when I'm watching it and I you know see the is it Mateus is the main guy and he would like make certain decisions and I'm like why are you not doing this a different way or you would see like the he would do something that was like objectively the best thing that he could do for the other guys that you know were like stuck in their cage or whatever and he would do something and it would seem to them like oh he's just you know like what a douchebag but it was like something that was in their objective best interest. And he would never yes. try to explain to them or convey to them like, look, oh, man, I'm right. looking out for you guys. You know, I thought he kind of did. and They just didn't believe him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't do it hard enough for me. I it just it was, it was frustrating <laughs> watching it. And I think maybe that's why I didn't have it on my top 10. But that's not necessarily a knock against the movie. Just how I felt when I was watching it. I was just thinking that. Their boss, that Luca guy, he had such presence. Like he, he just kind of popped on screen. As like, I'm like, this guy is an actor, you know that kind of thing. And so I just, just now, I hadn't done this previously. I was like, I'm gonna pull up his IMDb. Oh, he's in a ton of stuff. He's Xerxes in 300. Yeah, he's in Love Actually. He's in Westworld. He's in Lost. So I thought he kind of looked familiar, but that would kind of explain why I definitely didn't recognize him. He, he definitely has that presence of a, you know. Like a star, and I, and I don't know. Maybe he does even some Braz- more Brazilian movies that are one of those guys. Maybe he's a star in Brazil, and I'm just oh okay on his Wikipedia or on his IMDb and it says Rodrigo Santoro is a world-renowned actor. <laughs> so yeah, he's great in Westworld. Yeah, okay, so he's kind of new on my radar, I guess, be the way to say it. But yeah, he uh, yeah, he's not the lead, obviously, but he's definitely kind of a star. So yeah, we definitely recommend that. Okay, we're down to the final four, and our next film is the first one so far that made all four of our top tens. So, Logan, this is your number one film, but it was also Cody's six, my nine, and Aaron's ten. So it wasn't in the top half for the rest of us, but it was on all four of our lists. So 
Logan? All right. So this is The Harder They Fall, which is my favorite movie of 2021, directed by James Samuel. It is a Western movie, but it stars all black characters. And not only that, but all of the characters are historically significant black figures from the American West. Right. They all have actual Wikipedia pages and stuff. Yeah. Right. That being said, the story is not a true story. But all of the characters are real people that actually lived. And God, I I had so much fun watching this movie. I love seeing like the anachronistic like dialogue and music choices, mm. especially in Westerns. That's just like something that I really, really appreciate. Similar to like in Django, you know, where there's like, you know, like right. you're watching a Western movie with a Rick Ross song in it. Like I, I love that stuff. <laughs> all of the dialogue is so quick and fast and funny. And it's just, I don't know, it was just a really, really fun movie. It's a Western, so it's right up my alley. And this was the one that I found myself going back to more than any of these other movies. It's just, yeah, really well made. Idris Elba's awesome in it. Lakeith Stanfield is awesome in it. Uh, yeah, I I just really liked it. I don't necessarily have like a, a really good argument for why it's the number one, other than that it it was just the most fun that I had with a movie it's your it's your favorite yeah you don't have to justify it it's your favorite movie and going back to it i every time i go back i have more and more fun every time i watch it oh you're you're a big rewatcher so how many times have you seen the harder they fall um i think only like probably four times but like each time i watch it (laughs) he keeps doing that aaron (laughs) are you time (laughs) he keeps doing that yeah yeah that only in four times are not the same thing when it just came yeah, out. <laughs> well, it, and I'm not necessarily like when I say I'm watching it, I don't just like sit down, turn it on, and that's the only thing that I'm doing. Like sometimes it's on in the background, yeah, although okay. with this movie, it's hard because I will get sucked in and just completely <laughs> ignore whatever else I'm doing if, if this is on. It's but. like one of my favorite movies that I've, quote, only seen four times. It's probably something like Whale Rider that's 20 years old, <laughs> and I've seen it four times in the last 20 years because it's one of my favorite movies. And that's, anyway, so uh, let's go in order of, like, who had... So, Cody, you had it at number six. You go next. Yes, uh, movie was awesome. I think this will probably be the movie on my list that I look back in five years, and I'm like, why did I not have that higher? Mm. Even now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, I probably should have had it above Tick, Tick, Boom. It has been a while since I saw it, though, because I think I saw it, like, when it first came out on Netflix. Kind of like Logan said, it's just a badass movie. That fight scene with Regina King is probably one Mm. of my, it's probably my favorite scene out of any movie this year that I've seen. It was just, it was awesome. And I also went into it, I had low expectations because I'm not a big Western fan and it just absolutely blew all expectations away. Yeah, it's uh, in a in a year of dramas, like this, this year was kind of definitely dominated by dramas. I mean, we just, we talked about, you know, you have three hour Japanese slow burn (laughs) dramas nominated for best picture. So uh, the harder they fall is definitely one of the most fun movies uh, this year. And honestly, yeah, I, even though I don't have it, I only have it at number nine. It could be one I'm going to be more likely to rewatch because yeah. it is just so fun, and it's arguably a little bit of a mess. But like, it's not a movie. It's not a movie that needs you to think too much about it, and it just kind of oozes style, is what I wrote. Yeah, just so so much fun. Oh, it's the movie. I think I texted. Well, I don't know if I texted Logan also about this, but I think I texted Cody. It's like, I became aware of my huge man crush on Lakeith Stanfield during this movie. <laughs> yes. Because, like, every time he was on screen, I was just like, like my, I don't even know what it is. Like, just his presence. And again, I, I was already a Lakeith Stanfield fan. Like, he's, he's done a lot of cool stuff. He's a great actor. 
But in, the, in this movie, for whatever reason, I was just like, God. So cool. <laughs> dang. He's so cool. Like, I love Luke Stanfield. Yeah. The soundtrack for this is awesome, too. Yes. Yeah. Also want to shout out the set design of the white town. Like, that was my favorite, oh. like, set. <laughs> yeah. of the, so, like, the sand was, it was hilarious. I loved yeah, literally that. literally the entire town was literally white. 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 <laughs> yeah. White. Yeah. Is that the only time we see white characters in the whole film? Uh, um, no, I'm there's like white characters on the like train at the, that at they the bar early on, or they're white. Okay, yeah. that's right. Okay, oh, that's right. There's the guards yeah. and stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely a lot of fun. Who's who's the direct? Who directed this? Uh, Logan? James Samuel. I have not seen anything else by him. I guess he's a he's more of a music guy than a movie guy. It looks like he has three movies that he's written and directed. Uh, they Die by Dawn, which does not have a Wikipedia. Jay Z Legacy, which also doesn't have a Wikipedia, and then The Harder They Fall. Well, and that's just a music video or a short. Yeah, okay. So, oh yeah, I guess those other two are short films. So this is his only feature film. Oh wow! Right. So I, I'm I'm definitely excited to see what he does next. Then, because yeah, this is pretty darn cool. Yeah, and I'm definitely curious to see what he does uh, going forward. Because uh, yeah, this was this was a blast and our first kind of big consensus film of the year, where all four of us are on board with. It's a lot of fun. Go watch it, right? Yeah. So now we are to Aaron's number one, which is my number five. Oh, yay. Yeah. So um, my number one, which was like way above the rest, I would like to say I loved this film, was oh. <laughs> The Worst Person in the World, which is a Norwegian film. And it basically chronicles four years in the life of Julie, who's a woman in her late 20s, who's basically struggling to find her place in the world. I, I mean, I would describe it as like a coming-of-age movie for adults. Like, mm, yeah, it's both yeah. hilarious and like surprisingly heartbreaking all at once, sometimes back-to-back. The cinematography, though, was outstanding. There's two scenes in particular that are so well shot. They're so cool. The mushroom trip scene and then that scene where like the world freezes around her and she's like running yep, to her yep. love are just incredible. I've never like seen that executed so well. And the acting was great. I was not kind of expecting the way it went towards the end. And I I don't want to spoil it. But the acting by both characters was incredible. It was like very emotional. And I loved the ending. Like I do like open-ended endings sometimes. But this was extremely satisfying ending. And you just like felt good about, you know, Julie and where she was in her life afterwards. But yeah. Yeah, it's kind of mesmerizing and... I think I compared it to Fleabag, the the limited series Fleabag. It just kind of yes. seemed to me like it was almost, again, I could be wrong. It felt inspired by Fleabag in a way, but also more subdued mm-hmm. while also still making very bold choices. I love chaptered films. It's so like right at the beginning, they say this is going to be a 12-part story with a prologue and an epilogue. Yes. And straight up, it says prologue on screen, and it gives it a subtitle. Chapter one, and it gives you the subtitle. And just kind of does that, you know, kind of very Tarantino-ish, uh, while definitely being just a character drama. But then again, they do... The other one that reminded me of is 500 Days of Summer. How it just kind of... Yeah. It's, it's more chronological than that. But the way it is kind of have those chapter breaks and does bold things. Like in 500 Days of Summer, they do that sudden, you know... They break. They have a song and dance number in the middle of a movie that is not yes, a musical. Yeah. And so the, the freezing time one in this... Reminded me so much of that, but also seemed wholly original and something I'd never seen in anything else. So yeah, I absolutely love this this movie. 
And I really don't have a strong reason why it's not higher. It is number five. I just really, really like my top four. And so I would kind of, same as what Aaron's saying here, as far as a tier break, I would say between it's my top five and then it's everything else. And this is kind of the tail end of the top tier of the year for me. And everything below that is like worst person in the world to King Richard might as well be my best of the decade to not even on my decade. And if I was going to, consider movies for best of the decade it would probably be the top five here only and everything else kind of gets forgotten but absolutely loved it can't say enough good things about it and also just the whole idea of his worst person in the world is is kind of an interesting title too because yeah she's not a great person but it also kind of highlights none of us are perfect and she's not that bad she does bad things but don't we all and just is she any worse than anybody else? And yeah. she regrets these choices. And she's just trying to find herself in a way that everyone you can kind of empathize with completely. And you're just so curious and you're rooting for her, but also frustrated with her and banging your head against the wall. <laughs> yes. And so the title makes sense, both literally and ironically. And aren't we all? And no, this <laughs> this movie is awesome. And again, I feel bad because it's another one. I'm sure these guys haven't seen the two-hour Norwegian movie. <laughs> But yeah, it was great. Uh, it was very relatable to as someone, you know, early 30s. I was just like, sometimes oh, felt yeah, personally yeah. attacked by some <laughs> 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 I'm like, oh, yes, I also make bad choices like this. But yeah, like, not you know, you don't agree with everything she does, but you like understand why. You know what I mean? Like, you're never like, you understand her thinking, right? Like, you can see it down yes. there. You're like, why are you doing this? But it's like something, like so many of the choices she's made, I've like, if I haven't done it, my friends have done it. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's very, like, a personal, like, character story. She's so real. She might be the... Man, I... Again, I'm pulling this out just because I... My brain said it just now, so maybe it's true on a subconscious level. She might be the best character of the year. Yep. Of, you know, of all the 2021 movies. This might be my favorite character. Right. Uh, the other one is... So, what I, actually, what I wrote down here, too, is... So, I mentioned Five Days of Summer with kind of the segmented storytelling and the lighthearted kind of way they play with things. But also I wrote the raw intimacy of a marriage story. Mm -hmm. uh, but then also way more existential where it's hard for us to maybe see ourselves in a marriage story while it is kind of a compelling story versus I think the worst person in the world ho holds this mirror up to the viewer in a way that no other film this year did. And you can't help but see yourself in her and the other characters and everything she goes through. So Highly recommend yes. it. And actually, this is one, too. I could see... So back when... Uh, I think it was Pan's Labyrinth uh, was nominated for Best Foreign Film, but also broke through into like Best Director and some other categories. But then it didn't win Best Foreign Film because The Lives of Others came on late and beat it in that category. I won't be surprised if that happens here. Like, it's very, very unlikely. I wouldn't put any money on this. But I think it is not impossible. Drive My Car pulls off the upset and wins Best Picture... And it doesn't win Best Foreign Film because the worst person in the world does. Right, right. Like, yeah. I legit can see that mm. happening. I love it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so, so good. So good. And uh, definitely one I would, uh, I, I look forward to watching, watching again, even though it's uncomfortable at times as well, yeah. as are a lot of things on this. And uh, again, I, I, I don't want to talk about this a lot longer, but uh, again, these guys right, have not right. seen it. And, uh, <laughs> we can chat later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> guys, do you have any questions about the worst person in the world? <laughs> Uh, I guess no. that's a no. <laughs> it's a, uh, which I I think I've asked you this before, but it says it's part of a trilogy, but you, it's not like a oh, actual yeah. story trilogy, right? It's like something different. It's like a, like a trilogy of vibes. Right. Like you, you compared it to, I think, Logan, we were talking about the Cornetto oh, trilogy right, okay. by Edgar Wright. Yeah. So just kind of like their spiritual, a spiritual trilogy. 
And I'm guessing, Aaron, you have not tracked down the previous ones yet either. Okay, but I'm very excited to after having seen and loved this one. So, yeah, I think they call it, one of his actors apparently just called it like the Oslo trilogy as they were wrapping it up. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess it is. I hadn't thought about it that way. So I guess he has kind of three character dramas set in Oslo, and this is the third. And he's done maybe one or two other movies, but... This yeah it makes me really excited. I kind of you kind of like when you find that new new filmmaker. And that's kind of a lot of this list. Like this again, Steven Spielberg is not on any of our <laughs> lists here. Thank God this year. Yeah, if you start looking at and again, I don't know off the top of my head who directed all the movies on my list, but it's not. I I don't know that there's any like big name directors. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, yeah, that's a good point. Not yet. No one no one is until they are right. So, but I mean, the odds of this. Brazilian film having that director break through into mainstream and becoming the next Guillermo del Toro or Slim or the odds of a Sean Baker becoming the next Spielberg. Okay, we'll go and move right along because I am introducing the next movie. This is my uh, this is my number two and Logan's number two and Cody's. Actually, I forgot to add it. And Cody's number four. It's Dune by uh, Denis Villeneuve. And honestly, the only reason I would say I didn't put it at number one is because it's not a completed story. This is part one. They didn't even do the whole book. There will be a part two. And that's the only reason it's not number one. I highly anticipate if they can if they can hold the quality, and man, I don't want to jinx it, but like if the subsequent Dune films all released this decade are as good, there's a strong chance Dune ends up being my movie of the decade as a collective, kind of like I did uh, with the... Lord of the Rings trilogy. I kind of had it the number one of the first decade of the 2000s as a collective. I could I could definitely see doing the same thing here with Dune. The the pacing is so perfect. It's definitely a slow burn. So slow they don't finish it in uh what is the runtime on this? 2 2:35. They don't finish it in 2:35. They're basically just getting started in a way that makes you think though, heck yeah, I get to spend more time here. So they get to take the time of like a TV series but it has the budget and the look and the feel of a movie. So it's unique in that way. And I was one, I, so I have read the book, but it's been 15 years. I really don't remember many of the details. I remember after reading the book, I rented the 1984 movie, made it about 10 minutes and quickly shut it off and sent it back because I thought it was horrible and a shame that they couldn't get it right. Mostly through technical limitations and David Lynch, uh, even though he does some cool stuff, wasn't the right director for it. But when I heard uh, Denis Villeneuve was going to be directing this and the stuff he'd done previously, I'm like, this could be the perfect marriage. And it really, really was. It is a 83 slash 90, which is a little lower than some of those we talked about. I hate to say an 83 is low, but uh, relatively speaking, I feel like it is. It is nominated for a bunch of Oscars. Like I can't even count here real quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten Oscars. Best Picture. It's not expected to win a lot of these, maybe in the technical side of things. Um I'll take a break now and breathe and someone else can talk. Do, Logan, talk about doing so, for a little bit. I think that Denis Villeneuve is the perfect director for this project. Between the like really grounded human stuff and like political stuff, we've seen that him do that really well before in something like Sicario. But then also the like sci-fi, but also highbrow, but also looks really cool from Arrival, it's like he puts it all together. And Blade Runner 2049. And Blade Runner. And couple that with awesome performances from Timothy Chalamet, Josh Brolin's awesomeness. Everyone's great. The music is awesome. 
one of the songs from the score is like on my workout playlist. It's the the song during the uh, invasion, the surprise invasion when all the ships are blowing up and, you know, Josh Bowen's like rallying his troops and he's like, come on, let's go or whatever. And they're running out. Everything's blowing up and their ships taking off and flying and shooting. And there's like this really thunderous orchestral music, but also with bagpipes. Man, that song gets me fired up. I love this movie so much. I can't wait to see the other two. And I'm really glad that they chose to do this. I guess I didn't know when I was when I first saw it that it was going to be just the first part of a trilogy. Mm. Um, I was kind of concerned that it was going to they were going to try and cram the whole book because I know it's not a short book cram the whole book into one movie and that, you know, a lot of this stuff was going to get dropped or would be confusing or seem kind of incomplete. But yeah, I I think that this was like a perfectly executed project by everyone involved. So I watched it for the first time last night and I have notes. (laughs) So I'll just read them. One, uh, on the next movies, Zendaya better be in there a lot more. (laughs) I love her. She's amazing. And then I don't know why, but so Duncan... Uh, Jason Momoa's character, I thought for sure he was going to be a bad guy. Oh, interesting. You thought he's, he'd twist? Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. I thought for sure he was. And then when he died, I got all sad. Sp- spoiler alert, sorry. And then... <laughs> it's like a 50-year-old book. I feel like that... <laughs> okay, fair. And then the end of the movie, I talked to you about it, Rich. Zendaya, they're like walking, and they see one of the sandworms, which also just gave me major... Uh, that movie with Reba Tremors. Oh, Tremors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just reminded me of that. <laughs> oh, I'm guessing that's intentional. I, if I had to guess, Tremors ba- was based off of Dune. If I, I just oh, really? had to guess, but oh, okay. Well, I mean, not like directly, but like inspired by. Like, oh, hey, we can do a modern, cheap, crappy version of a horror story based on the, yeah. that one aspect. I mean, it'd be weird if it wasn't based on that. And then when they, but when they're walking, and then Timothy Chalamet says they see the sandworm, and there's a person riding it. Mm. and uh he goes he says desert power and zendaya turns to him and said this is the this is only the beginning which is a perfect line for the beginning of a trilogy (laughs) yes and then the mom has like this very worried look on her face so i'm like that just the ending right there i was like that is an awesome way to end it to get you excited for the next parts and when do we have any idea when it's going to come out because like i'm i will say this is the only movie that i did not see in theaters that i regret not seeing in theaters Oh, oh yeah i wish i would have that's a good sure. point i saw it in theaters and i regretted not seeing it in imax i saw it in imax and it was glorious <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh other than the sound that's like actually my one knock and this may have just been the way the warren presented it but like the levels to me seemed off and the score sometimes overpowered dialogue so but that may have just been a theater issue uh, do you guys have that issue at all? Or Cody last night have that issue? No, but I also watch everything with subtitles. So if I I don't really okay. notice stuff like okay. that because I also am looking at that. Aaron, did you see Dune? I did. And it actually like fell off. Like I think when we I sent my initial list, it was on there. But then I watched The Worst Person in the World and Red Rocket. And so it just kind of got pushed down. But I really did love it. I love the cinematography okay. and the music, especially. Like not what I was expecting going in like that type of, you know soundtrack or cinematography like the level it was executed at was wonderful i did like it a lot okay good good glad to hear that and so it looks like 2023 for the second one which i mean that's actually not horrible i think i did hear they maybe have already been filming and then looking at uh, denis villeneuve's imdb here there's also something called dune the sisterhood a tv series that has just been announced so i wonder if they're gonna maybe do like a parallel thing because like with the uh oh whatever group of you know magic people or whatever that his mom is from 
maybe kind of do a story based on that kind of cult slash religion, maybe. I, I'm not familiar with that. And there are, there's a whole, I've only read the first two Doom books, I think, but there's a lot of them. <laughs> and so there's definitely a whole kind of universe to dive into if, uh, if people are willing to put money behind it. You know, I understand that uh, this is this is a bit of a tangent, but I understand that choices like that make studios money. But like, it's so annoying that every property has to have like five movies and three TV shows nowadays. And if you don't keep up with all of them, you're like <laughs> lost. Like, that's one of the reasons why I've become so much mm. less invested in Marvel is because now there's like, you know, every th- this last year, there was all like the five shows, Marvel right. shows that came out on Disney that I didn't watch any of. And I'm like, well, if I don't watch these, I'm not going to get the movies. I don't know. And it's it's the same and like every it's it's Marvel, it's it's this, it's Star Wars is the exact same way. Um even I I watched Yellowstone, but that now has like spin-off shows that you have to watch to understand. Uh-huh. It's like, can we just have shows or or movies that are just like can stand on their own and not have to try and squeeze every cent of cash out of every property you have? Right. But you know, I, I don't run a studio, so it's not my bank account. So maybe if it was, I'd be singing a different tune. I think part of that goes into the conversation I feel like we've had before. Like, unique IP is kind of not a thing any- mm. anymore. There's so many just remakes or sequels of everything that they see, like you said, they see a dollar sign. So they're like, okay, we're going to do this because we know it's going to make a lot of money. And there's just not as much original content now. I argue to some extent that's not a new phenomenon. I mean, when they made gone with the wind it was because it was the yeah. popular new book at the time so like that's kind of always been a thing and they're just using the ip that they had at the time and now there's just kind of more ip and movies have been remade over and over again so it's kind of always been a thing and at the end of the day these are it is a movie or it is a money-making enterprise so i mean i guess i kind of get it but i also get the frustration of when i feel like i have to have done homework or i can't fully enjoy something and to, to your guys's point but i'm kind of mostly okay with it if Anything that's done good. Like, I even talk about, like, I don't have a favorite genre of movie. I like good movies. So if they can pull it all off, power to them, and I will enjoy it. But just don't make it feel like I'm missing out if I haven't seen the other pieces I'm not currently watching. Well, that's why I did not see Spider-Man. Because I know that right. you talked about it. You you said it's really good and that I should watch it. And I'm like, I am so far behind. Like, I'm at the point right. I'm behind on Marvel movies. I'm not ever even going to try to catch back up. Right, I get that. It's like, yeah, you feel like it's just too late. Because you kind of miss the boat, and it's mm-hmm. too much work to. I've yep. I've seen most of them once, and then I would always get mad when they assume you have them all memorized. I'm like, no, I've seen them all once. That means I haven't seen half of them in over a decade, and just it gets kind of frustrating. But then I again, the fact that I can watch again, not to bring go back to Spider Man real quick, but I didn't have any of those issues because it just stands perfectly well on its own, and I don't feel like I had to have done homework. But yeah, they're kind of hit and miss that way, or now because of that. So hopefully with Dune. If they do a side series there, they don't have those issues, and uh, it stands alone and can supplement without feeling like you had to have seen it. Also, uh, side note, Logan, you've been frozen for like 10 minutes now. Oh, really? And so... Yeah. <laughs> oh, everyone else is everyone else looks and sounds fine. I... So yeah, you, you sound fine, but like it's just kind of funny because you're like <laughs> almost about to talk oh. and staring, so it's just like you've been just staring at the camera for like... Did that do anything? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> but yeah, you were just like <laughs> for ten minutes. Oh, yeah, my bad. I I didn't know. Everything else was working fine on my end. Okay, and so we're going to kick to Cody for the final film. This is the second movie. This is the only other movie that is on all four of our top tens list. 
This is Cody's number one. It is also my number one. It is Logan's number six and Aaron's number nine. Cody, everybody knows it. Just say it. Belfast. Yes, yes, Belfast. Starring Judy Dench and some other people. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa, what? whoa. I don't know. She's like the only one I. She's like the only one I recognize. <laughs> and it is an 87 critics and 92 audience. Which critics? That's lower than I thought it was. Yeah, going to yeah. Look that up today. And it's the director Richie. What's his name? Kenneth Branagh. Yep. So it's kind of like a kind of an autobiography of his younger life. Um, just like a working class family, and then their two younger sons. When there was a lot of political kind of stuff going on in Northern Ireland in Bel in Belfast. I thought it was really good. It was beautiful, black and white, or a lot of black and white. So I, I was okay with that. Really, the it's the entire movie's black and white, right? Except for like the beginning. Yeah, actually, even Logan and I talked about this on History and Film because we did do a breakdown of of this over there. Where I thought I was in the wrong theater. Like all I knew about Belfast oh. was that it was in black and white. Oh. That's all I knew. I I didn't know anything else. I didn't know it was directed by Kenneth Branagh. I didn't know when it was set. I walk into the theater and it starts off with like a a shot in color. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> so I up, like I, I, I thought I was in the wrong theater, and I gave it just enough time. I started seeing hints of Ireland. I'm like, okay, okay, and then finally it cuts back. You're like, oh, okay, here we go, here we go. That is kind of a cool shot, though, the way that yeah. they transition from the color going into the black and white, because it's in, it's not a cut. Like they, it's like a crane shot that goes yes. up and over a wall, and as it goes over the wall, all the stuff behind the wall is black and white, and yeah. the stuff in front of the yeah. wall in color, and then it goes down into like a long take that's a couple minutes long where you go and you see everyone just kind of like living their daily life on the street. Yeah, that's that's actually a really cool moment in the movie. And there are a couple other times where they have color, like when they go see the play, all the actors are in color, and then yeah, they, yeah. when they go see Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, that is, that is in color as well. But only the movie, all the characters are still black and white. Right, like you said, the, the reflection in Grandma's glasses, yeah. though, were kind of... Yeah. And again, Logan and I have talked about this one a lot before, again, on the other podcast, and just how... It's kind of spoiler proof, kind of like Coda, where you can't spoil seeing Kieran Hines' performance. You can't spoil hearing the mom's monologue. You can't spoil the performance that this little kid gives in his first movie that was just jaw dropping. And I wouldn't have been surprised to see the kid get nominated. And it just works better than, for me, better than any movie this year. Cause there's no, there's, I can't say anything against it. Like it just kind of works on every level. It's the laugh and cry kind of family drama stuff. This is the one I think, yes, Logan said, you watched it and said like, oh, this is the perfect Richie movie. Yes. Like, yeah. this is just right right, right up my alley where it's kind of, I don't know why, and I'll see if you guys think I'm crazy, but like the phrase that keeps coming to my mind when I think about Belfast is from Billy Joel's Piano Man. It's sad and it's sweet and I knew it complete when I wore a younger man's clothes. And just for some reason that, I know it's cheesy, Logan's, I feel like Logan's, Logan's rolling his eyes. Like, <laughs> Not literally. Like, like that vibe. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, not out loud. No, like, I just, just like, just like the vibe. And I, and I mentioned again on, on the other uh, podcast that, like, the most devastating moment of the year for me in cinema was the wake when they played the song. I can't remember what the song was now. What was the song? <laughs> uh, Everlasting Love. Yeah, that, yeah. Everlasting love, yeah, yeah, yeah. Power of editing, you got it immediately. They do the karaoke of Everlasting Love, and I'm just like start bawling, and I'm like, I don't even understand what is happening now. And it wasn't like 
even though it's awake, it wasn't like because it was sad. It was because it was happy and sad all mixed together in, again, it's sad and it's sweet. That's what it is. <laughs> and I'm like, what is happening? It's just the most powerful moment at the theater for me of the year, which tends to elevate movies for me. I don't always give it to the movie that triggers that moment. But if you trigger that moment, and that's where I, Tanya was for me, where I just was like, uh, well, not to make it about Itania again, but Itania, I was like bawling on the way out to the car, leaving the theater. So, but then for Belfast, it was just kind of that moment and just, it just nailed it on every level for me. And I loved it so much. It's really special when a movie can like show you like one beautiful moment in just a relationship between two people. But that scene, it's like simultaneously all at once, a beautiful moment between the little kid and his grandma, the grandma and her husband. The mm. dad, who's the, it's his mom, and the dad and his wife, who are also having, and it's like, it's just a culmination of all of these relationships all at once in this one, yeah, really, really energetic musical number. Yeah, that, that scene is is super powerful. And it's also, there's parts of the movie, like, it's not just all, like, mushy drama stuff. It, there's hilarious stuff in this movie, too. Oh, you laugh out loud on multiple yeah, occasions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like the little the antics that the little kid is getting into are hilarious. It's biological. It's even funnier because it's like the it's almost funny kind of in a dark way too because it's like his antics are like from the movie's point of view such a big deal like him trying to get the perfect score on his math test so he can sit in the right seat to be next to the girl that he has a crush on. And, like, that's given as much narrative weight in the movie as, like, yes. the riots and people being shot by, like, the British army in the streets. Right, because when you're eight, that's more important. Right, and right. he's, like, actually in a riot, and, like, that's one of the funniest scenes in the movie, because yes. it's, like, he's in this riot where they're breaking into this store, and he's just like, uh, I don't know what to do. I guess I'm gonna just, uh, steal laundry detergent and then run home. Because <laughs> they're like, you gotta take something. He's like, I don't want to take anything. So he's like, uh, I don't know, what can we use? Uh, laundry detergent. <laughs> And that's, that whole thing is being so powerful because then the mom makes him take the stuff back yeah. and then the people on the Protestant side are like, that's not what we do. And I'm, it's just, this is so, everything's so weighted. And the, like, the subtext in this movie is just so powerful. And uh, I have an affinity for Irish accents for some reason. <laughs> and it's just, it just hits on every level. Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything to add necessarily, but I thought it was incredibly charming. I also thought that ch- all the children actors were very good, so which is um, not a guarantee. <laughs> I was a little yeah. nervous because I like you know was purely from you know the viewpoint of a child as like you know, but yeah, honestly, all the acting all around was very good as well. Rich, you mentioned the uh, religious aspects of the movie, which is also like historically in the movie they're they're talking about the troubles, which is you know a big part of that divide is like the Protestants and the Catholics. And uh, that was another one of the funniest things in the movie is when you see the dad talking about, oh, you know, Catholicism is such a religion of fear. That's why I don't like, you know, mm. the Catholicism. And they're just all too afraid of everything all the time. And the very next scene is this Protestant preacher talking about, like, fire and brimstone and the spittle coming yeah, out of his yeah. mouth. And yeah. Yeah. It, it is kind of simultaneously one of the funniest and saddest movies of the year. 100%. And uh, that's, uh, that's a great mix for me. So, yeah, it's. It's my favorite of the year. I did for the longest time. I kind of keep that running list. I actually had Dune and Belfast on the same line. I'm like, I couldn't decide. And I was debating putting... Actually, I mean, at one point, then I think, okay, I'll, I'll go with Dune. I just think it's a more innovative kind of thing. But I was like, you know what? It's not done. It's not done. So 
I put Dune to two and elevated Belfast as my favorite movie of the year. Uh, Belfast would also be our consensus movie of the year. Again, by my point system, it actually just edged out Dune. Uh, 105 to 103 with then the worst person in the world at 62. So it was actually a, definitely a tier two at the tier of two at the top based on that. And then it kind of dropped. And the reason harder they fall was still below worst person in the world is just because it was, it was low on, it wasn't anybody else's top five. Anyway. Uh, so what, what did we not mention? What other movies did you really enjoy this year? And I don't want to talk about them as long. Maybe just kind of say some titles and, uh, then we can kind of wrap up. Uh, so what are our album mentions for this year? Uh, one movie that I wanted to put on my list, but then I realized that it came out too early and we did the cutoff at the Oscar cutoff, which was in March, was Psycho Goreman, which is a very low budget Canadian movie that came out. I think it was like January or February of 2021. It was made for under a million dollars and it's it's really fun. It's kind of like an old 80s or 90s Power Rangers or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon or not cartoon but like live action with like costumes and stuff but all the characters that are like the aliens want to like destroy the world and they're like pulling each other's arms off and stuff but there's also these two kids that are running around with this guy this alien that they find his name they name him Psycho Goreman and they're I don't know it's it's just a really fun movie uh Twin Peaks huh. had it I think is one of their number one movies of the year and i really enjoyed it but it was just it didn't get the cutoff because of the time oh so it technically wasn't eligible yeah yeah yeah. okay yeah aaron what do you got yeah i think we discussed this but i think parallel mothers that was also very good oh yes just basically as a story about two women who become mothers at the same time and it kind of takes a different path than i thought i was expecting and especially the ending but the performances alone i think weren't watching it it was very very well acted also it's almost similar to uh shiva baby in the premise is a little bit of a spoiler but also that comes enough into the movie like shiva baby it happens really early on mm-hmm. but uh in parallel mothers it's if i feel like it's like almost like an hour in there's like this twist that's also part of the premise right uh, anyway it's yeah i it's really really good i, I initially aaron and i actually both had it like at number 10 and we just kind of watched more stuff and it got bumped out but uh definitely one of my honorable mentions as well Cody? I honestly don't really have any honorable mentions. If if I did, it was ones that I didn't put on my list that we already talked about. Okay, well, one actually I thought you had on initially that I was going to list as an honorable mention as well because it was on my top 10 until I saw more stuff as well is uh, The Lost Daughter with Olivia Coleman. Oh, yeah, I guess that would be on there. I enjoyed it, but I it's like, I don't know. I feel like I've also kind of seen it before. Oh, really? It's like a woman kind of, kind of not, I don't know, kind of like discovering herself and older lady working through some stuff. Aaron and and Logan, did you see that one? Yeah, I saw it. Mm-hmm. I guess I do think it was a little more unique than Cody because like the idea that it owned her being a bad mother and having regrets about that in her past yes. and how they kind of went back and forth between the two time periods. I, I I actually really really liked it. Like I don't know if it'd be my number eleven, but it's it's definitely kind of not too far out of my top ten. Uh, I did watch A Hero by Asghar Farhadi. I I really liked that as well. His movies, as good as they are, I hate to say they don't stand out because they stand out through the sheer quality, but they're just kind of straightforward character dramas that are well done. And so a hero is about a guy who, and again, the the cultural things are kind of neat too. It's a guy in Iran who's in debtor's prison. Yeah, that's, at first, I was confused. I, I didn't read the synopsis. I didn't know that it was a debtor's prison. 
Because he's like, I thought he was just getting out of prison, but they kept saying, oh, he's on leave. He has to go back in two days. And I'm like, in Iran, they just let people out of prison (laughs) to go on leave. But it's it's a debtor's prison. It's he because he owes a guy money. And so he has to go to the prison until someone can pay the money on his behalf or he can get the money together from a friend or whatever. Which is so tough because you can't work to pay off your debt because you're right. in debtor's prison. But basically it sounds like the person, person if you in a round, if you owe money to someone or a, enough money to someone, yeah. they can basically put a claim on it. Right. Like if they don't, they'd basically press charges. If they don't press charges, you're fine. But once they press charges, you can't pay. Yeah, you got to go to debtor's, debtor's prison. Yep. I'm like, oh, anyway. And so it's just kind of about, oh, and then it's called a hero because he... Oh, what is it? Oh, he he gives us. He, they what do they find? Like some gold pieces, and then they put up some signs to return the gold pieces that they found at the bus station to the rightful owner. Right, and then it's like, oh my gosh, this guy in debtor's prison returned a bunch of money, and then the media attention kind of gets going. So it's it's a really cool yeah. concept, but it's again, it's just it's kind of dark and depressing at the same yes. time, and it's definitely worth watching. It felt a lot like um, About Ellie, which was the other Farhadi movie that we watched. Right, right. I, I think I liked About Ellie better but this it was still really good i agree anything that he comes out with i think i'm gonna start i'm gonna watch from from here on out yeah they're all good they just don't necessarily stand out from each other let alone because yeah anyway anything else are we good do we do it are we done my my voice is tired of talking i will (laughs) admit that uh i don't want to edit this down to and you know it'll definitely have to be a two-parter but we're we've been recording for over three hours here so Good job, team. We did. We did it. We did it. We we talked for longer than drive my car. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or you can all say goodbye real quick, and then I can put that in. Do like a See big ya. bye. <laughs> bye. <All right>. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>